Well, good morning, everyone. It is good to see you all. And uh, for those online, thank you so much uh, for uh, joining us. We are, uh, before I, I uh, kind of jump into the message, I just wanted to uh, give a shout out and an invitation. And so uh, many of you know that uh, over the last uh, few months, we have been continuing uh, to uh, open up more and more of Beacon's ministries. And uh, it is great. We're watching uh, a whole lot of ministries get uh, underway, and many of them are just rolling uh, forward full force. Uh, and yet uh, we also know, as I mentioned a couple weeks back, that uh, we are still operating some of our ministries on skeleton crews. And so I wanted to highlight for you uh, both uh, the Kids Quest team, which has been doing an absolutely incredible job. Can we just give a round of applause to the Kids Quest folks? You guys have been absolutely just uh, crushing it. And, uh, you know, because we're still in one service format, uh, many of them are having to, even if when they're here on a Sunday, they're worshiping uh, on, at, online at home later uh, because uh, they're here serving and loving on our kids. And uh, one of the opportunities that I want to invite you into is nursery. And so we have uh, recently had a couple of folks who have been serving in the nursery. Uh, they have uh, uh, stepped uh, away from those ministries for a couple of different reasons. And uh, we are looking at uh, being pretty short staffed down there. And so if any of you have thought, you know what, I would really love to be a part of the ministry here. And I would love an opportunity to uh, give back uh, in that way. This might be for you. Now, one of the qualifications is you have to like children. And so if, if that's not you, this particular opportunity is not for you. Uh, but of course, hopefully all of you love them. And I've been told that these are actually the cutest kids in the... Now, I don't think that's necessarily true, but Trevor told me to say it because I think Kara might be in, uh, in that uh, room as well. And so anyway, if you're interested, please let us know. And uh, it's uh, just a great opportunity and easy on-ramp as well to service. So uh, please uh, let us know if that sounds like something uh, that God is moving in your heart for. All right. So here we are in this series, The Meaning of Life, and as we were working through the series and kind of try, uh, coming up with ideas and topics that we thought might be appropriate for this series, which is, in the end, a relationships series based on God's Word, uh, we realized that uh, some of the topics of relational dynamics would be very, very important, and something struck me as a little bit odd. You would think that with so many ways that we screw up our relationships, that we would be really, really good at apologizing. Right? Like, why, why is that not the case? We, we have so many opportunities for practice on this thing, and yet, we, if we apologize at all, we are offering these uh, sort of half-hearted or truncated or often meaningless, sometimes even offensive apologies, like the one that starts with the I'm sorry, but then very quickly, as soon as there's a little bit of tension, uh, pushback, it's the, I said I was sorry already, right? You guys just said, now listen, I'm going to, this is, you know, only Shrek would do that, right? I'm sorry, all right? Like that's kind of, kind of the, the feeling that uh, some of us have when we're listening to it. I love this one as well. Um, this is the, you know, the over dramatic squirrel. 
You know, this is the, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I feel so bad. I can't believe I did this. Oh my goodness. I have not been able to sleep ever since this happened. And this is so horrible. I can't actually, and what we're doing in this sort of perverse way, it sounds so awesome at first, but then what we're doing is we're actually making it about us and our feelings. We're like, I feel so terrible. I know you were hurt, but I feel terrible. This is so hard for me too. And You know, and then... Well, this is the, uh, you guys have seen maybe some of the evil sloth, sorry, not sorry. Um, <laughs> you know, this is what I often hear about when, I, you know, I think about when I hear when, we, when uh, somebody's apologizing and you're like, you know, I could have handled that better. Thank you. <laughs> so heartfelt. I could have handled that better. Yeah, that sounds like a real genuine apology. What are you really trying to get at? It nearly sounds like a sorry, not sorry. I like this one as well because, you know, I'm sorry I hit your car, but... Don't, don't blame me, blame the Industrial Revolution. <laughs> or ra rather, just blame pretty much anything else. I'm sorry. And if, that, if, if, if the next thing is going to be but or if or because or something like that, you've got to be super careful about your apologies when they're, when they're, when they're framing like this. Because, you know, it's like, I'm sorry, but, you know, I had had too much to drink. So that sounds like something you should also be apologizing for. Don't be adding that into your, into your excuse. You know, I'm really sorry, but there was so much stress at work, and my boss was so mean to me, and I'm just, I'm really sorry, but, you know, it was the 60s. You know, it was the 70s. I mean, it was the 80s. Like, that's what happened. You know, we blame a decade. How can a decade be culpable? And, and that's what we do. We're like, you know, and, and we just kind of find all of these other things. You know, it, for me, I was raised by Irish, Italian, um, Spanish, Hispanic, Puerto Rican um, parents. And so for me, you know, I'm really sorry, but like I'm, I'm Italian. <laughs> As if that's like a blank slate. And, you know, and if, and if you push back on that, they'll, they'll come back in. They'll be like, yeah, well, I'm Sicilian. And then you're like, oh, actually, that's a valid. Uh, and no, I was just sorry. And that was just for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we blame like that, right? Oh, I was raised by fill it in, you know, so you're the blame meme, you know, an apology you say, well, I'm sorry that you feel that way. <laughs> I'm sorry you feel that way. There's absolutely no responsibility going on with that kind of apology. There is no regret. There's no asking for forgiveness. There's no promise that it won't happen again. I'm just really sorry that, well, that you uh, have all these issues. And I was just another way of spinning it and phrasing it out. And so, you know, we look now at this whole idea of seeking forgiveness because, you know, every single one of us will have family or friends. In fact, I'd love a show of hands for anyone who has a family member or a friend who has had an argument, a fight, or some sort of offense has happened, and they are no longer talking or the relationship is clearly kind of in chaos. Anyone know someone right now who's got a friend or a family member? Because if you know me, then you know someone who, uh, who has, no, you see, like, this is a real thing. Like, there are people, I remember my grandfather, he, uh, he would tell, he told me years and years and years ago that uh, he had not spoken to his brother in many, many years. I think it might have been decades. And it was a little foggy as to what had happened. Like, they couldn't quite even remember the offense. You know, Cheryl and I used to argue it with such vigor that um, when we would argue, we would go on for days and sometimes even longer, and there, were, there would become a couple of times where we would forget what the argument was about, 
I don't know if anybody else is, is, has had this experience, so much so that we would be like, hey, so you know that thing that we're arguing about? Um, what was it again? <laughs> and if they couldn't answer it, we'd be like, all right, I think we sort of need to agree to be done with it, right? Like if we can't actually even deal with the issue, totally unhealthy ways of dealing with. I can't even begin to imagine how many wasted hours and days and months and even years or decades have been spent hiding from the hurt that we have inflicted on others. I can't even begin to think about how many hurt feelings and gossipy undercurrents and sleepless nights have been sacrificed on this altar of conflict and stubbornness and unrepentance. I've seen it. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in my family, friends, here in the church, of course. And why? Like, why is it? Why is it that when we do something wrong, that we don't rush to make it right? And you're thinking, well, of course, well, that would require an apology. Yeah, but just think that through a minute. Why? We've done something wrong. We've learned this from the cradle. And yet, we don't rush to try to make it right. We found a fun meme that captures this. It actually started... Uh, as a gift, and so, um, yeah, I think many of us can relate to it. It's Homer disappearing into the bush when you are facing the situation that is so awkward that you want to simply disappear as if you were never there. And so, you know, that thing happens, you say that thing, you do that thing, and all of a sudden you're like, and I'm going to be disappearing now for just a few minutes or lifetimes. You've seen it, you'll show, it'll show up in things like this. When you accuse every, uh, everyone of stealing something, and then find it in your own room. <laughs> I remember that exact thing happening in college. <laughs> when you were arguing about who is right, so you Google it, and it turns out they're right. And you're like, oh, ow, let's hope this thing just goes away. And so you say something, you do something, you realize you were wrong, and you slowly want to hide in a bush. And so, you know, for me, I'm looking at these, these, right? We brought all these plants up here because, of course, what I want to do is I actually just want to preach the entire message right back here. You know, like, see how awkward this is. This builds great community and relationships. But, you know, when you say something, you do that thing, and you slowly start to kind of disappear into the background, and you're like, hey, listen, and one more thing, and then you're just kind of like, that's it. I'm out. You know? Why do we do this? Why is it that we're like so close? We, we drop this, this bomb out into the world and then we turn around and hide in a bush. It's been made into shirts and posters and even birthday cakes. By the way, if you get some, a birthday cake and they put that on it for you, you should come and see me. You should definitely come and talk that out. If the people that know you and love you are putting this on, I hope I didn't give you guys any ideas. That would be messed up. You know, but why is it that we, we run and hide rather than own up to our mistakes and our sins? Why do we hide from seeking forgiveness? So I'm hoping to convince you this morning to come out of hiding and be first in line to ask for forgiveness. I want to give you a couple of tools as well so that we can all do it well. All right, so why do we seek forgiveness? Well, 
the wrongs that we do need to come out of hiding. The scriptures tell us in Proverbs 28, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And this is the big idea here. We're, we're concealing our wrongs and our sins. It's not just you that went into hiding. You're taking all of that garbage with you. You know, we can't go backwards. We can't get a redo. I so wish we could. I wish we all lived in kind of like our own version of like a Groundhog Day where, where we could do something wrong and when we realize it was wrong, we just hit the reset button and we kind of go back and we get like another day to try it out. You know, we get like, all right, let me know. And then, you know, you could be, my life would be 10 times longer if I had a reset button and I had to keep going back and, and trying to figure out how to do it right. But we don't have that. And so what do we have? We have the ability the promise that if we refuse to conceal it, that we will find mercy. Now, here's the thing, you know, we're, and we'll get to this in a moment, but the penalty for our sin has been dealt with on the cross, the penalty of our sin. We no longer risk separation from God. As we talked about this last, last week, if we're followers of Jesus, the penalty for our sin has been paid for by Jesus, but the consequences... The consequences are often alive and well. And that's what we're talking about here. Confessing and renouncing, they're a part of us finding mercy. Yes, it's going to be mercy from God, and it's, it's going to be mercy for yourself, and it's also going to be a mercy for those that you have hurt. See, seeking forgiveness it allows our soul sickness, it, it, it allows our sinful hearts and perhaps even our bodies to be healed. James 5, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Every piece of this sentence is key. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Not simply to God. Not simply to your journal. But to each other. See, in the shadows, sin festers. It gets infected. It needs to be brought out into the light and then healing can take place. Healing of our relationships and of ourselves you know, many relationships are in tatters because of unforgiveness. People end up in bondage to the wrongs that you have done. To this day, people will remain in bondage by the things that I have done or said. Right? You, 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 you're in this, in this relationship, you're in this situation, and, and you're over here, right? You're out front, and, and, and you, you drop this relational bomb on people. And then what you do is you kind of press in, and, and you start hiding. But what do you think is going on out there for them? They don't get to go and hide. What you did to them is still being felt. And so you ran out here, and you kicked a hornet's nest, and they're getting bitten, and you're like, hey, you know... I'm kind of just, all right, I'll see it. What is this? We've, we leave 
them to pick up all of these pieces. We wonder why they're lashing out or they're turning inward in unhealthy ways. And all the while they're fighting and they're, they're carrying this burden while we're chilling in the bush. We're like, oh look, there's flowers. You know, I think I saw a butterfly. And they're over here in a full-on skirmish, a full-on fight. And we're hiding. Andy Stanley, he said, perhaps the greatest consequence of our unwillingness to own up to our responsibility is that it fuels the fires of bitterness and anger in someone else's life. He goes on to explain that, you know, every person, they're, they're putting together this puzzle, right? And there's like, you know, they're trying to deal with this thing and the emotion of this and that thing, and they're trying to deal with it, but we're holding out the last piece. And they're not going to be able to finish that puzzle, solve that problem, without that last piece of the puzzle, and we're holding it out, hiding in the bushes. So, we look at the scriptures and the Bible makes it clear. We ought to seek forgiveness. It's clear that there are significant emotional and relational benefits. I'm, I'm, I'm saying, you know, here's a simple pill. If you take this pill, it's going to fix a whole lot of these problems. And yet we refuse to take it. Why? And this is the thing that's just been, been kicking around in my head. Why would we rather run and hide, right? Why is seeking forgiveness so hard? And, and you just think this through with me for a minute because like as I've been, so I, I might know that I'm wrong because sometimes I'm wrong. I don't know I'm wrong. That happens like way more than it ought to. But, but, but what, sometimes I know I've done wrong and I still won't say anything. Why is that? Like, what is it that makes me say I'm not actually going to do it? Why is it easier for me to go and seek God's forgiveness? Here is the king of the universe. He is holy in glorious, radiant light. And it's so much easier for me to walk into, into prayer and say, God, just please forgive me for this, rather than a person who I've actually hurt. We won't do it. We often will turn any sort of seeking forgiveness about us. Why do we do this? And why is it that the people that we're closest to, like our kids and our spouses, why is it hardest for us there? Isn't that ironic? I mean, isn't there some sort of lunacy in this? The relationships that are the most important to us, the ones where we have the most traction and the greatest amount of, of relational ballast built in, those are the hardest for us to do this. I've had just countless folks over the years tell me, I, they have no problem saying they're sorry. If they do something wrong at work, they have no problem owning it. If they do something wrong over here, they, you know, they, they hurt their neighbors in some way, they, they don't have any problem. But they can't do it with their spouse. It seems so ironic to me. You see, it, it, as we get closer and the, and the stakes get even higher, we seem to find it more and more difficult. Now, of course, many of you already know that pride is certainly one of the reasons we do this. Denial often shows up as, right, this is just what we do. What if I told you denying you're wrong doesn't make you right? 
You know, we should all kind of pin that. If you guys, if you want, you can find that, print it out, leave it on your refrigerator if you think your significant other might uh, benefit. No, you shouldn't do that, actually. It was kind of like totally passive aggressive. I like this one, too. So when you're wrong, you just deny, 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 huh? Tell me more about that. How's that working for you? Is that, is that going well? I'm right, they're wrong, they deserve what they got from me, and all that kind of stuff. Pride is certainly one of the reasons. There's another thing going on here as well, though. I think shame will often make seeking forgiveness difficult. I think this is actually a huge obstacle. I think oftentimes people feel terrible for what they did. And we might just be so embarrassed that we just want, we want to hide it's actually the natural result of shame. We, actually, we, we, don't, we don't want to talk about it anymore. We don't want to fess up. We don't want to give it any more airtime. It'll just make it bigger. We should just ignore it. Let it go away. Which, of course, it does exactly never. You know, but if we feel this sense of tremendous guilt, sometimes it gets even bigger than that because we might feel so much guilt that we feel like we deserve the argument and the fight. We deserve the punishment. We deserve these consequences. And so we just hold on to it as we continue to get beat up. And it fills, it kind of creates this horrifying little cycle downward. There's also a fear of rejection that can make forgiveness, seeking forgiveness difficult. Right? So maybe the person that you have wronged has a long history of rejecting your apologies or making your apologies difficult, asking you pesty questions like, well, what are you sorry for? What exactly are you sorry for? You said you're sorry, but for what? You know, which part of my behavior do you think is to blame here? You know, they ask you all sorts of irritating questions like this. But you know, maybe, the, maybe you feel like this person is unwilling to offer forgiveness, so why waste a good apology? Right? I mean, I, I'm going to queue it up. I'm going to queue it up for someone that's going to be, you know, grateful for it. We don't think about the fact that Jesus wants us to seek forgiveness, not simply because it's, it, it works in some way, but because we did wrong. That's why we seek forgiveness, because we did wrong. We also, I think, fear giving people power over us. You know, we don't necessarily want to give you the upper hand. I might be giving you information and ammunition that you're going to use against me later. If I do this now, then later on, it's going to be thrown up in my face again. So we think that that's somehow a valid excuse not to do what Jesus is calling us to do. I think we also will sometimes downplay our culpability and the seriousness. I think this might be even, even a bigger one than, than it might seem at first hand, right? So we think... Listen, man, just, you know, please forgive me. I made you a meme. Like, shouldn't that be over? Right? I, like, I can't tell you how many times I've purchased flowers for Cheryl, and the person that I'm buying them from says, so what'd you do? <laughs> what I do? I'm, I'm, okay, well, here's what I did. No. You know, <laughs> right? We feel like a, a small token. I'm not saying, you know, flowers to make up after a fight or anything like that is wrong or gift or anything. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying, though, is that we sometimes we think, well, you know, now I said I'm sorry and I made a gesture. I made you a meme after all. I sent you a cute cat. That should be a second argument. Just think about that. No, I'm just kidding, just kidding. We, we, 
we will often judge, you've heard this said before, right? We've, we will often judge people on their actions, but we judge ourselves on our motives, our intentions, right? And so I didn't intend for this to happen, so I, we judge ourselves very, very mildly and very softly, but other people we judge on what they actually did. And so we have this discrepancy where, where it's harsh on them, but minor on us. And so we tend to view our own mistakes as just really sort of not that bad after all. And then we magnify the, the failings and the faults of others into really like major sin issues. Like I had a bad day. You've got a heart problem. You've got to take that up with Jesus. Me, I just need a good nap. You got sin. That's a problem. All right, so how is it here that we know it's hard, we understand that it's difficult, but how does God help us in it? How does he help us? How, do our Christ, how does our Christian faith help us to overcome these kinds of obstacles? I think prayer is one key of those. It's one kind of the key idea there. I know that sounds sort of cliche, but think about it. When you go to prayer, you do a couple different things. First off, you recognize that there is a God and that we have a relationship with him and responsibilities to him regardless of what is happening in our relationships. He also is the first one that we will go to and seek forgiveness from and go back to the cross and experience that mercy and that grace. And so when that happens, it can really prime the heart in recognizing what we've done and also now in seeking the strength to do what God wants us to do. And so prayer is a great place to start. But it's also, God's word also can act like a kind of a mirror to, to show us what's going on. I think there's a reality check that happens here. Because we find out when we get into the scriptures that uh, we are, in fact, sinners. And this, I think, matters because, you know, what we want to do is we want to say, God, please forgive me or I'm going to be very sad. And that's great. But very sad doesn't capture what sin really is all about. We think in terms of small sins, right? But the eating of the fruit in the garden, it seems like a small sin. And it plunged humanity into a rebellious place with God. We see it in Genesis. He says, then the eyes, this is right after Adam and Eve ate of the tree that they weren't supposed to eat of. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord your God among the trees of the garden. They pulled a Homer Simpson. They went and literally pulled away. They hid from God. They covered themselves with leaves. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And then he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? And here's where we see the relational turmoil all just uh, start to get kicked up. He said, push me forward one. I think it's coming up here. All right, there we go. The man said, the woman you put here with me. He immediately blames the woman. 
And of course, not just the woman, right? It's the woman you put here with me. I'm not really to blame. If anyone's to blame, it's the woman, but really we know whose fault she is. <laughs> like, right? There's only one we can really blame. And she gave some fruit from the tree, and then I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. <laughs> Everyone's like, not me, it's them. And our sin causes shame, and it causes hiding, and God He's saying, listen, there is going to be love and acceptance, but we've got it. And we did this last week, so I don't want to go. You want to, you know, kind of understand this a little bit more. You're going to see last week we talked a lot more about this. But the point of it comes in Romans where he says, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, it is not a surprise to God that you're a sinner. And it isn't a surprise to the people in your life all the relationships, it isn't a surprise to them that you're going to make mistakes. We might act like we're shocked and it's a surprise, but in the end, the scriptures make it very, very clear that Christ himself, he died for us while we were still sinners. And this is so incredibly important because we get to rest in God's acceptance and his forgiveness because sometimes you're going to go seek forgiveness and you're not going to get it. And that feels like an insurmountable obstacle to us. But the reality is, we can still, even in that moment, do what we are being called to do. And we can offer this as a gift back, even if it is rejected, because it is the right thing for us to do. And we can do it knowing full well that we can still rest in the acceptance and in the mercy of God. There's actually a beautiful passage that happens here in Genesis 3, just a little bit later from where we were looking. Remember, this is like the third chapter of the whole Bible. So this is like early, early. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. I remember the first time that this verse jumped out at me. See, when you read the narrative, they're, 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 this is a vegetarian, utopian world. Remember, it's just we're two chapters in. It's only been the creation. There's no death, and there's no, uh, there's no bloodshed, and there's no murder. And so here we have Adam and Eve making, you know, making garments out of, out of leaves. That's how they're going to cover their sin. They're going to cover their shame and their nakedness. They're going to they're make leaves for themselves, and God's like, those aren't going to cut it. The work of your own hands is never going to provide what you need to cover your shame. It just won't. It can't. So God, he made garments of skin. And so in my mind, as I kind of unpack that verse, I see God calling Adam and Eve over. And he's like, listen, the leaves aren't going to cut it. They're never going to cut it. They can't. We need something more substantial. We need something that will endure, something that can really cover your shame and really cover your nakedness. And so he calls some of the animals over, perhaps some of the very animals that Adam had first named when he came to the garden. Certainly animals that he and Eve would have delighted in time and time and time again. And God, he pulls this animal aside and he's like, listen, someone's going to pay for your sin. And he slaughters the animal. He butchers it. He skins it right there, tans the hide. And so I don't see God just snapping his finger, his fingers and then suddenly you've got, you know, clothing, garments, you know, here's your, your new outfit. I think... This was a process that showed them that there are significant and bloody consequences for their sin. 
This is the very first hint that we get in the scriptures of how God was going to crush the serpent's head. This is it. This is the beginning. Soon we're going to see it fleshed out throughout the whole of the Old Testament sacrificial system. We're going to see it at the Passover. We're going to see it when, when Abraham is told to offer his son Isaac and a ram is substituted. And then we're finally going to see it at the cross. Someone is paying for our sin. Don't you see how this frees us now to seek forgiveness? Jesus has paved this way. So how is it that we can come out of hiding and seek forgiveness? I'd say that one of the key things is that we need to step into their pain. We got to push right out, out of these bushes and we need to step into another person's pain. I'm talking about creating a, a discipline of empathy, which I think is so important because remember, seeking forgiveness isn't primarily about you. It is about them. So can you step into their pain? First Peter, he tells us, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Listen, when you hurt someone and you want to you still love that person and you want to give them compassion, we could be like-minded. That means you've got to enter into their headspace. This is key. See, empathy is the connective tissue between their pain and your heart. And I don't think we spend enough time here. It is unfair to ask someone to forgive you when you haven't fully understood what you have done. This is a heart exercise and it helps us to enter into their headspace, to become like-minded with them, to enter into their emotional pain. It's trying to understand their experience of our stupidity. And it's, it's, it's an incredible exercise for you to do. And when you start doing this, all of a sudden you might see whole other dimensions of what was really going on. And what comes out of this experience will shape the words and the ownership and the connection that you feel to the other person. It will, it'll, it'll provide the very language that you need to genuinely seek forgiveness. To develop empathy. You want a simple trick for it? Before you go and start seeking forgiveness, write down five ways that what you did hurt them. And if five comes super quick to you, write down another five. But if you struggle to come up with five, double down. Keep searching. Praying about it. Even discussing it. Asking. How is it that I hurt you? How does that make you feel? How did that impact you? Help me understand this. And then you got to stop hiding. We have to actually straight up own it. You know, one of the most neglected steps in seeking forgiveness, you're going to write this down. This is key. This is important. Ready? You have to ask for it. I know that's a real shocker but you actually have to go and ask for it. Sometimes people think, well, we already settled this up. We're good. You haven't even started it yet. You haven't actually even asked. And if your identity is kind of being a good person or a good Christian, then accepting blame might be really hard for you. But we have got to seek forgiveness, not so they get to share the blame, 
We have to be specific in it. We have to, we, we have to not excuse it to death. Because that is how we will actually be able to confess our sins to each other. Be proactive. Initiate it. Get it on the calendar. Follow through. Make an appointment and press into that pain. And then when you're formulating the apology itself, dig deep into that empathetic ex exercise that you did. So you can say things like, I understand that what I did made you feel like that. I understand that when I did this, it meant it cost you this. You've got to dig in deep for it. And then let's not forget to actually admit that you're wrong. Sometimes that escapes us. <laughs> I've had these apologies that sort of meander around the point, but never quite get to the point where I can say, I was wrong. I should not have stepped on the cat. You know, like, or whatever it might be in your case, right? Like, you, I, I was wrong. I should not have said that. I should not have laughed at that thing. I should not have put you in that position. I should not have. I was wrong. Can we practice that? Let's say that really all together. Ready? I was wrong. No, that was really weak. Let's do that again. Ready? I was wrong. Period. For most of us. Unless you can actually identify what it is that really caused the pain. And then repent. I'm sorry I hurt you. I don't want to hurt you that way again. Will you forgive me? This ought not be graduate level stuff. And yet we all know how challenging this really is. I want to encourage us to live in this space. Practice seeking forgiveness as a spiritual discipline. Make it a normal part of your life. The more you practice it, the better you will get at it. Look for the opportunities. Even if you think they are small things, even if that's the only way that you can start safely doing it, get into this regular discipline.